0: Welcome to Apple Arcade Plus, the show where you get to hear from the people behind Apple Arcade Games. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show.
1: Maybe people recognize that the tutorial does look pretty asteroidsy, and that is a totally a nod to... That's a nod there. <laughs> very early design philosophies was, what would asteroids today look like? So that's quite cool you picked up on that. And I love the fact that you mentioned Cho being likened to Ripley. Having a strong female lead was really fun to do. I hope players enjoy playing as Cho and with Matey as her trusted sidekick.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Apple Arcade+. Plus. On this episode, we are joined by both James Melankovic and Pat Cook from SMG Studios. James is the producer of No Way Home and Pat is the game designer. And the best way I can describe No Way Home is... What if you created a modern day asteroids with a great story and a much more expansive game that lets you explore a procedurally generated galaxy? There was a lot to love about this game and there is no better time to dive in than right now as the 1.1 update adds a ton of new great content to the game and should be out now or very soon if it hasn't hit your app store quite yet. As a reminder if you'd like to support the podcast you can head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Every review is of huge help and really helps promote the show more in search. You can also send me feedback at applearcadepodcast at gmail.com. With that, here's my interview with James and Pat all about No Way Home. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Apple Arcade, uh, James and Pat. Uh, Can you first introduce yourselves, Um, James or Pat? uh, uh, I guess James, if you want to start.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm a producer uh, at SMG working uh, on No Way Home currently uh, for Apple Arcade.
0: And Pat?
2: I'm the uh, Game Design Head at SMG. So on No Way Home, I was the lead designer and I guess a lot of the dev as well.
0: Okay. And James, as as producer, what does that entail as far as the production of this game?
1: Just shuffle papers around basically. <laughs> From my perspective, it's really just trying to follow the game vision and take that on its journey. Pat, you know, has uh, what he kind of wanted to design. And then there's all the other people that kind of need to work on the game and trying to, you know, using the term herding cats is a little harsh. But, uh, you know, trying to push everyone in the same direction keep and keep the game vision kind of uh, as strong as possible and then hopefully fingers crossed delivering on time and budget (laughs) yeah (laughs) keeping a game vision well communicated is a big part of the challenge as well i think
0: what does the team of no way home look like uh you Different people doing music and different people coding and, you know, artists. What was the team for this game? We had a
1: pretty broad team across many different places, actually. We had people in New York, in LA, in the UK, um, in Sydney, Melbourne. We've kind of been all over. The lead artist and vision for the game world, Scott Vandenbosch, um, is this awesome illustrator and uh he makes kid shows and he's just he's an absolute legend um and he's down in melbourne where our you know art style really derives from but then yeah we had like developers uh here in sydney some you know designers in melbourne um and, and ux designers here in sydney and then we have over in la we have animators more visual guys and then yeah we so we have sound effects um, and music uh done by two different guys Again, and they, it was quite an interesting challenge because we're using this system called uh, Fmod, which allows us to have uh, dynamic music based upon sort of what's going on on screen, uh, which in theory sounds awesome and it can be really good, but it also can be really tricky to, to work with. And we, we had a lot of teething issues with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, overall, like uh, the, the game could get quite complicated just because of the fact that we're trying to do procedural generation. And have a narrative layered on top of that. And those two things don't marry up that well that easily. And so that, again, a lot of headspace went in. We've got a yeah, writer in LA um, who are working with constantly trying to work out how are we going to get a story thread to work in a procedural generation game?
0: <laughs> right. Because I've played like No Man's Sky and that's procedural generated and it's... There's not much of a story to it, but there there is a little story. Your game is much more story-driven in that way. We
2: had a lot yeah. of back and forth early on trying to work out how to solve that problem, actually. We wanted narrative threads, but we sort of had to readapt a little bit of the game design and the game vision to make that possible, I think. Initially, we had sort of a little bit more of a survival skew and a really, really random sort of role and outcome in how the world would come together and how the player would kind of navigate that part of the vision i think was maybe a little bit don't starve inspired where you would sort of continually try to kind of start over and work out how to solve all the problems but that was really problematic with narrative threads because we didn't want to keep retreading story beats we wanted to keep a longer form story moving forward so that Led to a bit of a reimagining of some of the early vision of the game. Yeah. So it was it was an interesting process.
0: Yeah,
1: trying to make yeah. that all work. And that was also compounded by the fact that we really really wanted to have VO in the game. And so we've you know we've got an awesome VO guy, Rice Pirate, who who does a lot of voices for SMG in general and and lots in gaming. Um, and we knew we wanted to work with him, but then. The way that the story was working out, like how would we how would we record like hundreds of thousands of lines, or what would we do there? We kind of had to settle on a on an approach that allowed us to still have a a, a bit more of a, a directed story, so we could have all of those niceties, but then also fit into pat's procedural world
0: No, the title no way home is that a reflection on just how desperate this person's situation is or is this a spoiler that you're actually never going to make it to your destination
2: yeah i mean how how spoiler free do you want to keep it <laughs> it is it is definitely an intentionally bleak title you are you know potentially better off just focusing on the new world that you've discovered that's sort of part of it
0: Yeah. Now, how did you guys decide upon the mood and tone of this game? Because there's a lot of humor sprinkled throughout, even though, as you said, it is a bleak outlook for your character.
2: Well, I think the tone was quite a collaborative effort. It was something that we established over time between ourselves, particularly James and I, and Mike, our writer as well. It was iterated on over the early span of the project to work out exactly tonally how all the characters felt that you interacted with and... What is the protagonist's personality and her approach to figuring out what to do and stuff? That sort of took a while to, to flesh out and to work out where to sort of find that balance. But also, I mean, SMG often has a sort of pretty weird sense of humor in our games, I think. And in a way, I felt like we were just continuing that vibe that we often put in our games. Yeah. I think if you if you look at Death Squared, that was, a, a, you know, in its own way, it was a lighthearted dystopia as well. There's a bit of a thread through our titles, I think in
0: there. And as far as inspirations, wh- where would they come from for No Way Home? Uh, the situation your character kind of ends up in is uh, immediately I thought of Ripley and Aliens, but this is a very different uh, kind of vibe with with all the other inspirations for this game.
2: So narratively, I think that'd be a question best answered by Mike, our writer. I'm sure he, you know, he, he could probably list a lot of inspirations that he drew from. I could talk to. That question on more of a game design level there's,
0: yeah um,
2: there's there's a couple games i guess that come to mind there's a an old mac game i don't know if you know it called escape velocity that was a bit of an inspiration play the hell out of that game as a kid i really really loved it and it's funny i, I wouldn't say no way home is really that similar at all to escape velocity but there's just a couple of kind of threads in there in terms of things you experience, I guess, that I think I took a bit of inspiration there. Aside from that, I guess, like there'd be dozens and dozens of shooters that I've taken inspiration from just throughout my gaming lifetime that uh, I, I wanted to just make a really kind of fun and satisfying shooter as well.
0: Yeah, I wonder if you showed the people that created Asteroids No Way Home back and whenever they create Asteroids, if it would just like blow their mind <laughs> with what progress would, would lead to.
1: <laughs> I hope you, maybe people recognize that the tutorial does look pretty asteroidsy and that is a totally a nod to... That's a nod there. Very early design philosophies was, what would asteroids today look like? So that's quite cool you picked up on that. And I love the fact that you mentioned Cho being likened to Ripley. Having a strong female lead was really fun to do. I hope players in- enjoy playing as Cho and with matey as her trusted sidekick it is interesting like you know pat taking me on this journey with uh, escape velocity and some games that i hadn't you know been aware of i think with with our 1.1 release we actually get a little closer to some of the goals that we we had for the game to be a little bit uh, more open kind of like escape velocity we've got some uh, little, little job systems kind of coming in and a few other bits and pieces that kind of take us a little further along that path. Um, I think one of my favourite things that Pat, I mean, you, you you always wanted to have moments where you had like monsters fighting pirates, and you could kind of just jump in there and and sort of help out whoever you feel like exactly, and, and, and nick their stuff when they get <laughs> they get destroyed. Yeah and then go and craft awesome things so that that is an inspiration i'm, I'm really glad that we could kind of start getting that vision in, into the game yeah escape velocity had these moments
2: where you would jump into a sector and there would be a pair of capital ships from opposing factions just juking it out and they would be way out of your league you, you were just a spectator but it was it was a spectacle i always really liked those moments
0: early on in this game you can kind of venture off to some pretty scary places that uh uh, you need to yeah. avoid certain enemies. Yeah, absolutely. They're
1: even scarier now in 1.1, 1. 1. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, depending on who you are. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the character you play as? Did she leave behind a lot of family back on Earth, or what, what's her story?
2: Yeah, in her character development, we had some early exploration into what of that stuff we would think about trying to cover, and we didn't end up putting it into the intro and I don't think in the VO and the kind of the way her story develops, I don't think we ended up including many kind of, of those throwbacks. But it was part of her sort of initial character development where we really tried to work out who she is as a person and what did she leave behind and what does it mean to be isolated from that, I guess. So it, it did form part of our early kind of thinking. But I guess in how the story eventuated, we ended up a bit more forward-focused
1: rather than, I guess, rather than dwelling on those family ties and past ties. Yeah. To, to get the right feeling for the game which was meant to be an arcade like it ended up being really kind of this arcadey shooter with layers underneath it but focusing too much on the negative wasn't working and believe me we actually really tried like the opening sequences were really grim to start with throughout development as time went on we kind of moved more and more forward like like Pat was saying like more forward focused so the player can kind of sit in these shoes of blowing up aliens without feeling too negative about right. kind of all of that and and Cho as a character kind of needs to move on with that like really early on we had heaps of dialogue <laughs> in the game saying like oh my god I'm killing things like who 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 am I <laughs> what is this and it's just like it just felt terrible because right. the player it, this is where we, we want the player to have fun shooting stuff yeah um so how do you how do you have a story where where they're uh, like berating themselves <laughs> about what they what they're doing and, and have and have a fun time doing that it, it wasn't working so we had to kind of yeah focus focus on the forward and focus on trying to find a way home trying to find how do, how do you survive in a galaxy you have no no friends no knowledge of and relying on yourself was, was a big part of it
0: yeah now, does everyone in this universe have a little assistant robot that helps them or uh, <laughs> or tell they tell me about the little robot.
2: I would love to add more assistant robots. Assistant robots are Fun. <laughs> Matey tries to help Cho, but you know, he's pretty silly. He tries to help, he doesn't always succeed at helping, especially in his commentary. Yeah, he is, I guess, one element in the game that makes you feel a bit less alone, which was something that was quite appealing to us. Yeah. There's always an opportunity for an exchange between those two as well, so narratively that's quite a lot of fun. It gives you a platform for exposition, which without that, you you sort of need a protagonist to talk to themselves or to, I guess, surface their... Inside voice in some way in the game's audio or something. It's it, it, it's a bit different how you have that sort of exposition available. So mm. having that character pair, I think, is really
1: fun. Mike loves to call it sort of a road trip buddies, and I think that works really well. It also it ended up working so well with Scott's art just because. Uh, the, the world is pretty lo-fi when you when you kind of look at it, like everything's sort of bleeping and blooping and, and you almost imagine like faxes to come out of your console or something. And so having just a, a mechanical derpy robot being on hand to sort of help us with any world building is, is kind of like a really nice tool for, for us as well. And then we got to write is absolutely ridiculous robot who is at almost always at odds with what you want to do and kind of dis- disagrees with you at every at every turn which which was a lot of fun to to make
0: and as far as progression in this game your ship and weapons progress what what kind of upgrades and progression do you experience as you go through this this journey
2: so you can upgrade your weapon shield reactor hull plating and then there's an additional two sort of slots for augmentations of your core stats as well. They'll do things that are a bit more unique, like give you weapon damage bonuses based on how overheated you are and, and things like that that are, that are a bit more detailed in how they sort of change up a playstyle. Essentially, between the main things you can upgrade, you can sort of sort of damage heavy or you can go defense heavy. There's, there's a few sort of um, archetypes that you can focus on in that. Mm-hmm. and it's It's designed to be a system where you need to, to some degree, pick one or the other kind of skews because depending on the reactor that you have installed, there's only so much load it can handle, so if you're using a very, very heavy weapon, you would need to trade that by having smaller shields, less hull plating, that kind of thing, or you can
1: go the other way as well. Yeah, Pat doesn't let us have, a, have everything, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> is it a thing where you... Can change it up throughout your experience, or do you have to kind of pick early on?
2: No, you can you can change it up definitely. I do hope people's you know want to experiment with those different loadouts. So there's that. and um, aside from you know being able to change your loadouts as well, it's sort of there so that you can I mean there's there's some agency, I guess on the difficulty curve as well because you can choose to invest a little bit more effort into sort of stacking the odds you know better in your favor before you try the next part of the game you can throw some upgrades into your weapon and put a better shield on or if if you don't need to do that you can just charge ahead
0: yeah what are the consequences for if you fail and die what 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 happens to you
2: no they aren't very heavy you just lose some credits which are very easy to get back again
0: okay yeah so there is um in that design uh you know a way for you to experiment with that gear and see what works for you. And if you die, it's no big deal.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, actually, in terms of the broader design of the game, because initially we had a permadeath model in mind. And I guess that goes back to how that was a little bit at odds with what we were trying to do narratively. So once we did pivot the design of the game away from permadeath, we actually went quite far in the opposite direction, where we really set the game up as a journey. That's an end-to-end experience, and it's not going to, you know, abruptly end where you need to restart the entire thing. Cho is, uh, I guess, immortal would would, would be the (laughs) kind of honest way to put it.
0: Beyond uh, just the simple blaster, you're also given a crane at the opening of the game... How do you find yourself using that throughout your journey? Is it a a puzzle that you will solve at times of like moving things out of the way or?
2: There's a little bit of that. It can be useful tactically in sort of making sure you've got some ice on hand near you and probably to a greater extent than that. Very elusive enemies can be kind of tamed if you grapple them and stop them from ducking to cover. But it is, I mean, it's a bit more of an advanced feature.
0: Yeah. So one thing you do recommend is using an external controller, and that's how I like to play my games as well. What was the experience of, like, designing for the touchscreen, and you need to consider that as well for users that didn't have access to controllers?
2: Well, that had a very big effect on the design of the game. I think if it was a controller only and touchscreens were not a consideration, we would have, for sure, we'd have more abilities on the ship. More things like the grapple, auxiliary weapons and various things like that, maybe a little sort of dodge kind of mechanic, all that kind of stuff, I think would have been explored a lot more. But really, because we wanted the game to be able to play well on a touchscreen, I limited it to features that were, I didn't want to put a, a million virtual buttons on the screen, or to make the touch input you know super complicated. We, we really just limited it to movement shooting, that one exception, which is um, when you want to get out that grapple hook from time to time.
1: Originally, matey was was actually going to be an activated ability um, before <laughs> we decided that you would just be your <laughs> permanent yeah. friend. Um, and one of the other big design considerations, Pat, that, that you'd put in was basically the lock on the, the, the auto aim. That was yeah. absolutely huge for for the touch screen because if you try to, I, I, I don't know about you, but if you try to play twin stick shooters on touch screen, it can be pretty unsatisfying being a few pixels off. So the the lock on makes that a lot more uh, user friendly. Well, the main reason for the lock on as well was just to
2: change the focus of the combat in the game because I find twin stick shooters generally they're quite fifty fifty in terms of where your focus is and really down to the the second-to-second the second moments of gameplay, you've got a huge amount of focus on your precise aiming as well as your movement dodging. And I wanted to skew Nowhere Home's gameplay a little bit more into freeing up your concentration to think more about movement and the reading the space tactically in terms of where your cover is, where ice is to cool down and to sort of take it to that more tactical duck-and-cover skirmish kind of gameplay and a way to do that was to use an aim lock where you can sort of you a lot less of your attention is required to very very precisely aiming your weapon so there was a sort of game design angle to that as well
0: and as you discover this galaxy there's a map that kind of tells you where you've been i believe in the 1.1 update there's a system to kind of there's a waypoint system added. Can you kind of dive into the map? And, you know, I believe fast travel is one of those things that's coming out soon. How's this map going to be expanding and being even more useful in the future?
2: Fast travel is something we're going to keep iterating on as we think about how to do it meaningfully without diminishing the way exploration works and without giving the player an instant kind of bug out card that they can you know just use and abuse so we are still thinking about how we might add additional forms of fast travel in 1.1 we just have fast travel between the domes that you find okay but yeah it is something that i think there's scope for us to keep looking at how we can expand
1: out the world and the facilities and things to find within that so it's it's an evolving picture now you can place your own markers in locations that you're, you're going to which is really helpful for um Say you've just finished a mission chain, um, you've got a bunch of cash and loot in, in your cargo, and you just want to head back to a town. Well, before, you kind of had to keep jumping back and forth to the map, and now you can drop a pin just like you would on, on Google Maps or whatever, and it'll direct you back to where you're actually wanting to, wanting to go. Uh, which makes that that travel just that little bit that little bit easier, and we'll keep working on things like that to make sure that travel is is more is more pleasant and uh, and and also on top of that, we've kind of scattered even more treasure chests around so that there's more and things if you, now as well. Yeah, and if, if you sort of stumble down a pathway, that it's likely that there's going to be some some little adventure for you down the end of that.
0: Nice, and with that waypoint system, is it? Implemented where there is like an arrow on the corner of the screen, you should be going, or is it more of like a line? Follow this line to get back to this waypoint.
1: Yeah, just just the arrow in, in a similar manner to the to the mission marker. You've just got an additional, you know, self placed pin that you can now follow.
0: So, with missions, what kind of variety should players expect with what your character will go on uh, to, to get home? with all these missions to to earn money and different resources. Well, there's a lot
2: of people promising to help Cho find her way home. And and yet, (laughs) 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 she... (laughs) You'll, you'll find her still floating around trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, we have added a lot in, in the update that's that's about to come out. There are
1: a lot more people to meet. But also the defend missions, a bunch of new types of missions scattered around, which will add a, a little bit more of a... It's generally an optional challenge of uh, going and helping out somebody else. Again, To generally it's, it, it's going to give you a bit more cash to be able to upgrade your systems. Uh, which you definitely need to do now with the even more tricky bosses and domes. There's more, I guess, mercenary
2: work, which from Cho's perspective is just going to help her survive.
0: And for the main campaign, how many hours... Do you see it taking the average player to to finish?
2: We don't know, actually.
0: There's just so much variety and kind of play tests and different uh, difficulty levels that players are...
2: Normally, we have a bit more of a window into that. Like, we can just look at the numbers, but we don't have that in No Way Home. So, anecdotally, you know, we're just hearing back from players or watching playthroughs on YouTube. So, we don't actually precisely know the campaign. Like, for, for myself, playing through the game, it varies greatly on how exhaustively I look for side quests and follow the various side story arcs. It's it's certainly speedrunnable, but if you sort of do a lot of exploration, help a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, the hours stack up.
0: And how does the procedurally generated nature of the game impact speedrunners who are, aren't able to then be looking for exact things to mastering each and every time
2: yeah that's an interesting one actually i think it would be it'd be cool actually to make a speed run mode in one update where we just sort of we'll we'll put the procedural generation just on one seed because you're right you couldn't really compete globally in speed runs at the moment because there's a bit of luck in that outcome so that is an interesting one i I mean in, in saying that i don't think if someone were to try to speed well if two people were trying to trying to speed run the game i don't think anything so drastic would happen that they would be you know completely uncomparable in their odds but
1: yeah, yeah. i mean in the
2: in, in the purest form of speedrunning,
1: you would want to do that on the same seed. we do identify the main path after the first dome as well so it wouldn't be you know you, you wouldn't be fumbling around from sector to sector trying to find your way necessarily but yeah, to, to your point, it would be pretty cool to pretty cool to actually give give those guys a, a mode like
2: that. that yeah.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about the domes?
2: Well, the domes are kind of an enigma. Even at the end of the game, I think, to a degree, they're still an enigma. But there is a story there that unfolds, and it's something that Cho starts to believe might help her get home. But it probably does more to explain the horrible, chaotic, terrible universe that she's in than anything else. So that's my spoiler free you. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then throughout your journey, you experience what reminds me a little bit of the, the space balls bar where you just, all these different aliens are kind of around and, People interact with yeah, them. Yeah, it's a bit of Spaceballs inspiration. <laughs> so the aliens in those... What do, what do you call those areas? Hubs? Or, it's a bar. I mean, it's a bar? Yeah, okay. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's a bar. That's what yeah. gave the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the inspiration come from all those aliens? I believe there's some more coming with the 1.1 update.
2: I think the inspiration came from every sci-fi movie and TV show. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. this is... It's
1: pretty wide-ranging.
2: Again, I mean this stuff is often coming out of Mike's brain but um i mean we all riff on these characters and races and world building and i mean it's a just a bit of a love letter to sci-fi and to you know to to some degree but we're just sort of nerding out on coming up with silly characters and races and Situations
0: are some of those characters random as far as who you encounter, and some there for everybody on their story journey. Or how does that work?
2: Players are going to encounter mostly the same characters in this at the same stages of
0: their journey okay and then difficulty curve you mentioned you can kind of adjust it based on your loadout is any um advice for players kind of struggling to get past a certain part in the story
2: two things that come to mind i guess when i think about the difficulty curve of the game the first one we mentioned earlier where you can increase your you know ship's power broadly speaking you know to to a fairly good extent at points in the game before you advance further. The other one is, it's a little bit hard to tell, I guess, when you look at the star map as a player, but there is a bit of a central kind of highway of civilization where you're more likely to encounter help and and have a lot more safe zones. And then veering off that, the galaxy kind of gets increasingly savage and weird and chaotic i guess those two aspects together give you some ability to kind of set your danger level i guess
0: yeah and do you have a favorite kind of part of the galaxy i know it's procedurally generated but have you experienced zones of the galaxy that you're like oh this is a really cool environment and enemies that you're encountering in that space
2: yeah so this was a big focus on the update content that we're about to launch we have gone further in setting up i guess areas that the main factions of the game have really taken over and they've put all their infrastructure around and they have a, a really heavy influence there and we've been able to kind of delve into that a lot deeper so that's feeling really fun you can go into like a sort of a, a pirate area that's just a mess of mangled metal and scaffolding and blinking lights and you know there's there's those kinds of places that when you come into them after having flown around a sort of asteroid field, you will feel like you're, you know stepping into someone's place well that's that's the experience that i wanted to to come across
1: yeah that feels very strong in the blessed swarm area the Blessed swarm are the uh the, the sort of insectoid race with uh, one queen who rules them all and a thousand boy, boyfriend kings and in, in their area you you feel very uh oppressed by the amount of units that just keep spawning and keep coming at you and uh I I really I feel like that area now is like really super cool and lots of fun.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the update to experience some of those. So, after you finish the main campaign, is there any post-campaign things for your player to do or is the daily run mode is that kind of what you have unless you want to start the campaign all over again?
2: So you can keep looking for any side quests you missed. After the main campaign, you can also keep looking for legendary weapons and systems and venture out into some of the hardest areas. And there are enemy units in the game you probably won't encounter in the main thread because they're of a difficulty that they're kind of lurking out in the fringes. But this is something, I guess, in future content, we'll be looking at what we can do there as well, um, particularly in some of the extra modes It's something that we're going to continue to look at what we can, I guess, make available for end-game content.
0: Okay. And and what is that daily run mode that players have access to right away?
2: It's a leaderboard challenge, which is just pure combat, really. You, You go straight in with a really, really powerful weapon and just blast away, and you just get as far as you can. It's immediately of a high difficulty to match a really powerful weapon that you go in with, and it's really just meant to be a quick turnaround. It's really arcadey mode, I guess. Yeah. that's that's a good way to describe it. It's mm. where the main game has a narrative focus and has ebbs and flows, and you know you can set your pacing as you like. Daily challenge is just go in with a big gun and and
1: just you know get get in the thick of the chaos yeah when you've got five minutes on the bus that's that's the mode you want to quickly jump into and play
0: okay excellent and then anything else from the 1.1 update that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share
1: there's so
2: many things I, I wouldn't even know where <laughs> to start it's hard to remember them all actually because we've been working on the 1.1 update for a while now it's it's touched every part of the game as there's, there's a yeah. lot of fun stuff that we've been working on.
1: I think I've I've got a a favorite uh, new character that's in the game called Corkio. You stumble across him, and he will pose you a question that you need to be careful in how you answer. And I'll I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot more, I guess, quirks to work out
2: tactically in enemy units. There's quite a lot of changes there as well, which I'm quite excited about. Lots of things that you need to kind of observe and uh, work out how you're going to sort of approach that tactical situation. So I think yeah, that'll be quite, bit,
1: quite cool as well. A bit more thinking. Yeah, a bit more thinking yeah. in the combat, for sure. Especially when you start getting off the beaten path a bit, it gets yeah. uh, pretty brutal.
0: Awesome. And that'll be out pretty soon here, right? Very soon. Okay. Yeah,
1: it should be within the next week.
0: Okay, excellent.
1: May, maybe even in time for your, this podcast coming out. Yeah, we are excited about this update.
0: How late into... The development process, did you know, would be an Apple Arcade game? Very early. Okay.
1: Very early.
2: Yeah. Um, During, uh, I would say... Just about during pre-production.
0: Okay, that's that's yeah, interesting because I know a lot. It just yeah, a lot of variety and when developers kind of discover that it'll be on Apple Arcade and imagine that can change. Kind of, you don't have to worry about you know monetization that way. You can just create the game as you want it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. there's a bit of an interesting history to the game. We started working on a twin-stick shooter in 2011 and. We worked a lot on that and then never released it. A few years later, we came back at it again and started reimagining it as a local multiplayer game. We sort of came up with a lot of sub-modes and it was almost like a different shooter iteration again with some common threads. And then that again kind of ended up on the shelf because... Other titles came around, and it didn't have that priority focus. I guess in 2019, when we started looking at, all right, let's let's come back to this. There's there's a bunch of things we want to do, game gameplay, game design-wise, and you know now might be the time where we have another look at this shooter that we've been wanting to make, and that just sort of coincided. It was a nice outcome for it, actually, that we were able to assemble a team for it and to give this game vision lots of love.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting hearing the the backstory. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to be before we wrap it up?
2: Nothing comes to mind. There's probably hundreds of things we could keep talking about on the game. I mean, that was a pretty good run-through, I think. We we hope people will
1: uh, just jump in and play it.
0: Yeah. where can people find more information about no way home and your other games wow
1: that's a good question smg (laughs) 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 Excellent. or especially actually our social media is particularly active with our studio head ash at the helm so definitely follow us on on all the social medias um, yeah social get all our juicy news that's the best way to go
2: we are active particularly on twitter lots and lots of our stuff is floating around there okay
0: great and uh yeah thank you so much for your time uh, today i know you guys Likewise. have been busy uh working on this this update and i'm glad you <laughs> had spare a couple minutes to yeah. chat about it still yeah. going <laughs> thanks so much mate thank you well that was my interview with james and pat all about no way home go out and download it on apple arcade right now thanks again for their time recording this interview and thanks to you for your time tuning in as a reminder head over to apple podcast to leave a review And again, make sure to check out No Way Home on Apple Arcade. It's a fantastic title, and you should really check it out. Stay tuned to Apple Arcade Plus on Twitter to find out what is next on this podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at Apple Arcade Plus, the plus spelled out P-L-U-S. With that, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to everyone again real soon.